that ministry in music. I, uh, we, we're not going to be using handouts on Sunday night. I probably should have told you that this morning, but there are pew, uh, Bibles under the pews if you need one. Uh, but so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be continuing the series that I started uh, when we were online on Sunday nights. I will, Lord willing, finish the book of Philippians, then go back to Ecclesiastes that I had started before the virus. We're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Tonight, I want to focus our attention on the fact that as Christians, we are to be standing firm in our commitment to the Lord. We're not to be moved or shaken in our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice verse 1 of chapter 4, it reads, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So the Apostle Paul has been exhorting faithfulness to Christ in the end of chapter 3. And there's a continuation of that theme into chapter 4. And uh, what I want us to see tonight is that standing firm in our commitment to Christ includes a number of elements. And tonight we're going to consider just the first element of standing firm in our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, standing firm in our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ includes standing firm in our commitment to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's the the first element of standing firm in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Standing firm in our commitment to Christ includes standing firm in our commitment to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, the text is chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let me read that to you. It says... Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So what are we to learn about standing firm in our commitment to our brothers and sisters, and Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first we learn that as Christians, we are not to let issues divide us. We're not to let superfluous issues divide us. It says in verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. The NAS translates that, to live in harmony in the Lord. King James, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And the NIV, to agree with each other in the Lord. Evidently, these two ladies were not getting along. This is known by the statement urging them to agree in the Lord, and also in the exhortation to help them, uh, to aid them in their reconciliation. In the text, the specifics of what is dividing them is not revealed. We don't know what the source of contention was that uh, caused this rift between these two ladies. I believe it's withheld from us 
so that we don't apply this in too narrow a way, that we only look at that particular issue that existed between those two ladies, but that we are to understand this in a much broader, fuller context, and that is that we shouldn't let anything that is superfluous uh, interrupt our relationship to one another. The reality is that there are many things that can easily divide Christians. I don't think I'm going to say anything that is uh, shocking to you tonight. We all know that in our society, (laughs) we live in a very divisive time. People are dividing over politics, to be sure, issues related to the coronavirus, masks, quarantining, shutdowns. We can think of the life of our own church with a building program, how to school our children, public school, Christian school, home school. These are all things that can easily divide Christians. People take different points of view and can get so worked up about those particular points of view that they don't get along any longer. In fact, might even get to the place of disassociating from each other. Hopefully, some of those matters are going to eventually go away. Uh, Lord willing, this uh, issue of the whole coronavirus is going to come to an end. I'm hearing from a number of different sources that they're saying that maybe as early as April, late as July, things might get back to normal uh, with uh, some of the vaccines that are coming out, etc. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But the reality is that once the virus is off the scene, there'll be something else that will divide Christians, something else that people will take different positions upon, things that can readily cause disagreements upon the people of God. Certainly, new situations with potentials to divide will always be present. So the exhortation is meaningful, practical, and always relevant. Christians do not always share the same opinions and convictions, and so that threat is constant. But we should not let such things divide us, to separate us, to cause us to disassociate from one another, or to break fellowship in any way. Secondly, we're to learn what it means to agree in the Lord. What kind of unity is expected among believers? Does that mean that we're always going to have the same opinion on every issue? And of course, the answer is no. Does that mean every decision that's made by a committee or a board of deacons and elders is to be unanimous? And again, the answer is no. The the shared commitment to one another is not the shared opinions that we have, but it is our commitment to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his work. That is the bond that is to hold us together. To be of the same mind, which is what is uh, in view here, has already been presented in Philippians in a number of passages. This unity is described in a number of ways earlier 
in the book of Philippians. This is a kind of a summary statement of what has already taken place. And if we do a quick review, we find that there is a unity that is founded upon the mutual commitment to the gospel. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This idea of being uh, side by side, it, it has a, a military uh, connotation to it. Uh, certainly, uh, when the Romans went to war, uh, they, they fought in a uh, phalanx. There were soldiers side by side, and they would put their shields out in front of them, and in so doing, they were not only protecting themselves, but they're protecting the soldier next to them. And so they'd be close together. They would be knit, uh, walking uh, shoulder to shoulder in order to advance the cause of Rome. That's the picture here, that we're to be standing shoulder to shoulder, moving forward to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there should be nothing that would cause us from distancing ourselves from one another. There is the unity that results from the bond of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, 1 and following says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and of course there is, all of those are stated in such a way that, of course, there's encouragement in Christ. Of course, there's comfort from love. Of course, we participate in the same spirit. Of course, we have affection and sympathy for one another. So Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Then it says, do not do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but on the interests of others. So don't just look out for your, your own desires. Don't just look at what you want things to be, but take into consideration other people's thoughts, other people's situation, and be concerned for them and be willing to make a sacrifice in order to be a, a betterment and a help to them. Which brings us to the third which is the unity that is in keeping with the sacrificial attitude of Christ. Philippians 2, 4 and following. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of man and being found in, in <clears throat> human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Here the idea is that Jesus willingly gave up his personal rights, if you will, his dignity, if you will, in order to be a spiritual help to others by ultimately making the greatest sacrifice, which was dying on the cross, 
for our sins. So the idea here is that we're to adopt that kind of attitude, that we're to take on a sacrificial spirit for the benefit and well-being of others, uh, and uh, in so doing, we can keep this unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Third, we're to learn to be even-handed in urging people to continue to work together for the cause of Christ. Philippians 4.2, Paul says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Here we notice that there is a balanced approach. And we have before us in verse 2 what I'm referring to as a grammatically laden process. Uh, this certainly is not the smoothest way in which what is being said could be expressed. For notice the redundancy in verse 2. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Certainly the smoothest way to say that is I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Uh, the uh, second statement is redundant, unnecessary thought. Except that it's not purely redundant and it's not unnecessary for Paul is emphasizing the fact that he's entreating both of them. He's not taking a side. He's not making a statement of who's right or wrong in this particular instance. But he's saying you both have a responsibility in this. Uh, you both need to decide that you're going to, to get along. We know that it takes two in order to ultimately get along. The scripture also recognizes that reality. But we're reminded of what we're told in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, which says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. As long as it depends on you, as, as far as you are concerned, as much as it's going to come down to what you're able to do, take the responsibility to live at peace with everyone. Uh, take the mindset that says, I'm going to, I'm going to hang in there. I'm, I'm going to keep working with other people. I'm going to, to do what is right. Uh, I'm going to serve the Lord by serving others. I'm going to maintain this peace and this unity, regardless of what someone else does. But uh, as far as it's up to me, uh, I'm going to try to maintain this peace and this unity. Fourth, we're to learn to be impassioned about the importance of maintaining unity. Uh, Paul is not indifferent to the fact that Syntyche and Yodia are not getting along. Uh, he is very passionate about their need to reconcile. To the Apostle Paul, this is a big deal. He's emotional about it. This word to entreat can also be translated as to plead or to beg. When he says that he is in, entreating, another translation is he's urging, uh, he's pleading, he's begging that these two would work out their differences, that they would continue on in the relationship that they had enjoyed in the past. 
Fifth, we to learn to be helpful to others in the reconciliation process. Verse three. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Help these women. Now, who this true companion is, we do not know. Uh, as we think about this true companion, uh, another translation would be fellow sufferer. Fellow sufferer. And to me, that communicates much more. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's suffering for the cause of Christ. And now he writes to a fellow sufferer, one who is uh, demonstrating allegiance to the cause of Christ and is experiencing hardship for that allegiance, is saying, help them, help them. Uh, encourage them uh, that they would be able to suffer as well, uh, that they'd be willing to take an attitude of, for the sake of Christ, I will forfeit my rights, I will forfeit whatever in order to be able to maintain this unity. And unity not just for unity's sake, but unity for the cause of Christ, for advancing the gospel, for seeing the work go forward. Who this person is, we, we do not know. Whether the person held a church office or not, and we don't know why this particular individual is singled out, or even if a single person is singled out. There are a lot of commentators that take this to be a generic exhortation to those who are fellow sufferers for the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning everyone is to be an encouragement, a help to these, these ladies. Um, whatever the case, we should see ourselves in the role of a fellow sufferer uh, trying to help others maintain peace and unity for the cause of Christ. Whatever the case, we can take the exhortation to heart. We need to be contributors to unity and not disunity. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 6, it says, These six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, he that is quick <clears throat> to mischief. Then it goes on, and the last is, the culminating factor, he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates when we are sowing discord, when, when we are bringing about disunity when we are acting and, and uh, interacting with other people in such a way as which we start to divide, separate, distance ourselves from our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not pleasing to the Lord. So certainly we're not to be fan, fanning the flames of disgruntledness. Rather, we're to be positive agents as peacemakers. Not trying to stir up the pot, but rather cool things down and make things easier for others to get along. We should be working hard to keep the unity in the bonds of peace.
Sixthly, we're to learn not to let people go easily. The word that is translated as help here is very instructive, and I can understand why they, they uh, tried to translate this as the word help, for, the, for there's no good one word to bring what is a, a, a pregnant idea in the uh, original uh, over into the English, for it, it carries a, a number of thoughts that don't easily translate into one little word. They, they take some explanation. The most literal translation of that word would be to grab hold of. To grab hold of. And the thought is to hold on to these women. Don't let them go. This word is actually translated in some places as to arrest, uh, to place in prison. <laughs> the idea here is not punishment, but but to hold on to them tightly, okay? Keep them from leaving. Don't let them separate. (laughs) Grab them. Hold on to them. Cling to them so that they do not go. Now, that's easier said than done. When people have their mind set up, when they are... um, bent in their ways, when they are headstrong, when they've decided, I'm out of here in a relationship, uh, we're limited in what we can do. But certainly the idea is that we should not give up on people. It should grieve us when we see people that don't get along and want to divide. Uh, we shouldn't be indifferent to what's taking place. And we should be quick to embrace and welcome back anyone who has left or divided. These are two women that at the present time are not getting along. And the thought is to keep them together And obviously, when they are together, to welcome them, to encourage them, to rejoice with them, uh, to readily receive them back into the fellowship if they indeed have left. Uh, But hold on to these individuals. We certainly should not take the attitude of, well, good riddance. (laughs) I'm glad that's past. I'm, I'm glad they're out of there. You know, uh, obviously these women are going to be creating a degree of havoc. There's going to be thorns in the flesh. There are going to be difficult things that have been said. Uh, You can read between the lines of all of the tumultuous outcomes of such a situation, for it is obvious to all. He mentions them by name. Uh, He's not outing them. It's apparent to the entire church at Philippi of what's happening between these two women. And so you can imagine some of the heartache, some of the misery, uh, some of the responses that one could have. And the thought here is, welcome them back. Uh, Do all you can to bring about that reconciliation. And seventhly, 
We're to learn these women are to be remembered for their commitment to the Lord. These ladies both were actively engaged in the Lord's work. Notice how they're described in verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help those women. Now notice how they're described. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Here are very committed women who in the past have labored side by side with me. So side by side isn't limited to the relationship they had to Paul, but together they had labored side by side. So it's laboring not only with Paul, but with each other. Here were two mature, godly women who had been laboring faithfully for the cause of Christ for some unknown reason have decided to separate from each other and distance each other, bringing reproach to the name of Christ and a detriment to the furtherance of the work at Philippi. So that teaches us some important things. First, that we're never so mature that we are unsusceptible to situations that can bring division. It shouldn't amaze us. You know, sometimes if if somebody's a fringe person, we might think, well, that's understandable. But somebody who's really committed, somebody who holds an office or, or somebody who has given themselves in a very demonstrable way in the life of the church and has been a hard worker, Uh, has shown diligence, has shown commitment over an extended period of time, we might get disillusioned. We might just kind of like, what? What, what, What's happened here? How did this person move from being so committed to now they are ready to, to distance themselves from the people of God? It happens. It happens. So that teaches us, first of all, that we need to guard our own hearts. This is an exhortation to each of us that we are to stand firm in our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that starts by standing firm in our commitment to one another in the gospel. So each of us tonight needs to constantly renew our commitment and not deceive ourselves in saying, well, I'm not going to be committed to my brother and sister in Christ, but I'm going to stay committed to the Lord. That's self-deception. For commitment to the Lord includes the idea that you're committed to your, your brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. Buying into that is the first step in this downward spiral that is depicted in the book of Philippians.
Secondly, we should understand the necessity of constantly encouraging and helping one another to maintain a good relationship in the cause of Christ. We need to be careful in the way in which we vent to each other, the way in which we express our dissatisfaction, perhaps with a decision that's made, or whatever the case may be, and think that it's okay to express this because I'm talking to a mature Christian. (laughs) It's okay because I'm talking to somebody who can handle this. Be careful. Be careful. Because disunity can spread like a wildfire. And people that we think would not be susceptible might truly be susceptible because they're going through difficulties in their own life. Perhaps they're discouraged. Perhaps prayers haven't been answered in the way that they would like to see them answered. Perhaps they are struggling with the very same thing and they hear someone else's struggling, and that only serves to add to their distress and their unhappiness. Secondly, what is clearly said is that these women are born again. If you look at verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. And I suppose someone could say, well, you know, they they were actively engaged and they they were committed and they were involved, but they weren't really born again. They they were doing this out of a sense of of, uh, works righteousness or whatever, and you can spin it in such a way as saying, the real problem is these people didn't actually know the Lord. But the end of verse 3 makes that an impossible interpretation for it says whose names are written in the book of life. Whose names are written in the book of life. We're talking about people who are born again. We're talking about people who are truly saved. We're talking about people that, that God has done a work in their hearts. We're talking about people who are redeemed. And yet, are struggling in their relationship to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet, because of that lack of fellowship that exists, are actually now not advancing the cause of Christ, but are hurting the cause of Christ. So the conclusion is... Back to verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Remember, the first element in remaining committed to the Lord is remaining committed to God's people. That's the first line of defense. And that's the first step away from committedness to the Lord. 
it will have a negative effect if we distance ourselves from one another. It will have a negative effect upon our own personal relationship to Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus said, if you have ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. For this is so important in our worship. This is so significant. This is so elementary in our relationship to Christ that we are brothers and sisters in him. We should see how important that is. We should also see how scary it is to walk away from God's people, away from people with whom we have worked, labored, and served. These ladies that had a track record of enjoying each other's fellowship, advancing the gospel, committed to the work of God, and then walking away from it. Which teaches us another very important lesson. And that is to walk away from God's people hinders our individual service to the Lord. Walking away from God's people will hinder our individual service to the Lord. We forfeit opportunities to serve. We will neglect the areas we are presently serving in if we allow this unity to disrupt us. May God give us peace. May God give us unity. May we stand firm in our relationship to the Lord by first of all standing firm in our relationships to one another. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray for your peace. We pray for your unity. It is so easy to let issues divide us. There are so many factors in our society that divide. And if we're not careful, those factors can easily spill into the church. Those attitudes that we are surrounded by day in and day out, on the TV, in the workplace, in our general conversations. Lord, preserve us, keep us. May our allegiance to you be the source of our allegiance to one another. May we ever keep in mind that it is your spirit that has brought us together. And we thank you, O oh God, that one day we are all going to be in your presence and there's going to be perfect love and perfect peace and perfect joy and we will fellowship with each other for all eternity. Guard our hearts and minds that we would continue to fellowship in this life, at this time, and that your work would go forward and not be hindered because of disagreements among us. But your, may your name be glorified. May we be as shining lights 
as we saw in previous chapters. May we be an example in a divisive world of what unity and sacrifice looks like. To your honor and to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.